This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Support for the Skeptical Skeptics podcast comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. So, if you have untrimmed pubes, that can be the thing of the past. Um, If you have trimmed pubes, you're probably doing it wrong. And it's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. And by yourself, I mean your significant other more than likely, or at least your ego and the hope that you will have a significant other um, to share this holiday season with. I am talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0, which includes a trimmer, which is very, very nice. It is also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. Um, it is it comes with like guards and like a brush and literally everything you need to keep trimmed. Um, it's like they say it's cut free. I still have not put that to the test because I am terrified. I mean, I put the trimmer to the test, but I haven't tried to cut myself with it. Um, but I take the word for it. Um, I literally put my uh, genitals where my mouth is. No, nope, I did not do that. Um, anyway, I put my genitals in their hands. Uh, that was requested by Rachel for me to say that. So there you go. But yeah, and it didn't disappoint. If you have sweaty and stinky balls, um, you will be thankful for the crop reviver and the crop preserver. But the crop preserver is a deodorant for your balls, which actually um, other than a few, I wouldn't call them mistakes, but we'll say experiments whenever I was a teenager. I didn't know that deodorant was needed for the ball region. Uh, well, needed. Yes. Existed. No. Um, that deodorant may or may not have been axed. Um, but anyway, yeah, so this works, smells good. And you have the crop reviver, uh, in case you need a little pick me up. It's like a clone for your crops, which I don't know why they call it crops, but I like it. It feels classy. Um, they also come, the perfect package comes with boxer briefs that are athletic and absolutely wonderful. They're the best boxer briefs I've ever had in my entire life. Um, and they feel great. And they're also anti-chafing, which is grand. So this is the season to finally take care of yourself and use our promo code skeptical and you get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code skeptical at manscaped.com. That's M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. Your balls will thank you. Also, ladies, not a bad option for you as well. I mean, just trying to expand the market a little bit. To recap, you get the trimmer, waterproof trimmer. You get the crop preserver. You get the crop reviver and the boxers. All in the perfect package 2.0 with a lovely carrying case. Welcome, everybody, to the Skeptical Skeptics Podcast. I'm RJ Metzger. And I'm Rachel Metzger. And we're going on episode 49 now. So last week we did our one-year recap of the show. Um, I was also supposed to put out our YouTube finale thing of... Uh, not YouTube finale. Our uh, ghost show review finale. Um, I didn't get that done. <laughs> um, so, yeah. It, it, it's It's been busy everybody you don't have to keep saying it they already know we're just the worst it's fine i know we don't keep making excuses like the excuse is just us we're busy us we're just busy guys everybody's busy there are times that we're not and then yeah but not everybody has a podcast i'm just saying i'm just saying this is just who we are anyways it's true um but anyway so nothing's been going on (laughs) 
we haven't done a whole lot. So yeah, that's why. Yeah. We need to do better. Um, social media, podcasting, the whole thing. We just suck. So it's Christmas time. It is Christmas time. We're, We're Christmasing. I've also uh, started a new business. Woohoo. Yeah. More on that later. <laughs> Whenever All there's right. actually sh- something to show for it. Um, but yeah, so been busy. Anyway, so we have um, the listener story episode coming up in three weeks, roughly, um, after our special, which will be next week or the next episode, whenever that is, um, which will be Mothman, which is really exciting. But then we have listener stories. So please start sending in your listener stories. Um, if you have already submitted one, great. If you didn't hear it on the last episode, just poke us again. Let, let us know, um, you know, that you sent it and sent it in. Um, and if you haven't submitted one, like, feel free to. We don't have to share your name. So if you don't want us to tell your name, uh, you know, just make sure we know. Because there were a couple of people that that had one that they didn't want their name shared, which is fine. Um, so, yeah. So we we have a few stories. Not not a lot, because obviously the listeners have been around for a while have already shared theirs. So if you're listening to this just passively and haven't reached out to us, please, please, please do. We really want to share your story. If we don't get enough stories, um, we're going to have to figure something out. Maybe I'll bring my mom in and have her tell some stories, something like that. But um, she would hate that. She would absolutely hate that, but it would probably make for a decent podcast. So, yeah. So we'll have to fill some time, which please don't make me do that. Uh, um, I love just reading y'all stories. So, yeah. Listener story episode this week in the news. What do we got? Oh, yeah. There is a video that apparently was filmed in 2016, but just now the media is getting a hold of it of some Russian folks getting chased by a Bigfoot type creature. Very convincing video. Um, So currently some people are breaking it down and checking to see, you know, its authenticity and stuff. It doesn't appear to be edited. Um, It does kind of look like just an escaped gorilla from the zoo is chasing these folks. But check it out. It's a compelling video. Um, If you search Russia car Bigfoot chase, I'm sure it'll come up. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so that's in the news. Um, there's also some other stuff in the news, but I'm actually going to turn some of them into episodes, so I won't talk about them too much. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good times. Anyway, what are you talking about this week? Alice Kiteller. All right. Nice. You know that's it. I don't know what you're waiting for. Yeah, good, good preview. Um, I feel like there's stuff to talk about, but apparently there's nothing to talk about. Yeah, you just used our other episodes where there are. There's nothing. There's nothing. Mm Mm-mm. Nothing. Nothing's going on. Nope. All right. Well, anyway. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Here we go. So I'm talking about the Marian apparition in Egypt. Um, In case you don't know what a Marian apparition is, what do you think that means? I don't I don't like this. You know, you don't ask me questions normally. I don't I don't. It sounds like a marionette. Nope. It's an apparition of the St. Mary. And that's why I don't like it when what you ask up? me questions. <laughs> anyway, so this is one of the most famous uh, instances of an apparition of all time. Um, so on Tuman Bay Street um, in. What's it called? Zutan? Zaytun? Zaytun, Egypt. Um, there is. St. Mary's Coptic Orthodox Church or was. I think I saw this article that I actually got. um Affected by an explosion not too long ago. Um, But anyway, there was one. Um, It was built in 1923 uh, because of a vision. One night, landowner Tofik Khalil Ibrahim uh, had a dream. The Virgin Mary told him to build her a church in Zaytun, which is a, uh, um, at least from everything I read, a pretty 
poverty stricken um, suburb of Cairo, Egypt. Okay. But anyway, so the place, um, uh, the place where this uh, church was built was said to be um, in the path that the Holy Family passed on their flight to Egypt after hearing that King Herod was going to kill a bunch of the babies looking for Jesus. Right. Yeah. So they ran to there and apparently this is on the flight. So a lot of people take pilgrimages following this path of the Holy Family's um, travels. Um, and then in his vision, if uh St. Mary said, if Tafik did what she asked, he, she promised to appear at the church in 40 years time. Well, 42 years passed and nothing happened until the evening of April 2nd. In April 2nd of 1968, a Muslim bus mechanic saw something strange hovering over St. Mary's Coptic church in Zaytun. He thought it was someone uh, trying to commit suicide. So he started yelling to her not to jump, Mm -hmm. um, which gathered a small crowd, which became a large crowd. And the apparition only lasted a few minutes. Um, but the following week, it happened again and continued two or three times a week for a total of three years, ending in 1971. Wow. So depending on what source you read, the number of people that saw this apparition um, over that course of time ranges from hundreds of thousands to millions to the most specific number that's that's repeated a lot is 250,000. OK, OK, but it's because um as the media picked this up, a lot of people were making pilgrimages, not only religious, but also scientific right, yeah. to come see this. So it's kind of hard to count that many people, uh, but definitely a lot of people claim to see it. So here's a more detailed version of that story. Um, now, the details of this, I couldn't like really corroborate. This was just the most detailed version of the story, but it's not like I could say that this is accurate. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Right. But anyway, so just past 830 on a typical Tuesday evening for Farouk Mohammed Atwa, um, who was a Muslim mechanic. Uh, he was 31 year, years old and he had just finished his shift. Um, he had severe gang- gangrene on an injured finger and the amputation amputation of this finger was scheduled for the next day. That comes up later. Um, by the way, I got these stories from churchpop.com, guideposts.org, EgyptToday.com, Alatea.org, and yeah, that's the majority of it. So anyway, um, so Farouk Mohammed Atwa, um, so he had uh, gangrene on his finger, and the amputation was scheduled for the next day. Uh, on his way out of the garage, Farouk glanced up to the cathedral across the street. He couldn't believe what he saw. A woman in white was standing at the highest point of the church's dome, and he called out to her, begging her not to jump. All the commotion drew a crowd, and then as bystanders watched, the woman was bathed in a bright light. She rose in the air, hovering above the cathedral roof and blessing the people below. Doves appeared out of nowhere, and then, just like that, she disappeared. The next morning, Farouk arrived at the hospital and the doctors sent him home. When they pulled back the bandage on his finger, they found it had completely and mysteriously healed. Okay. Hmm. So the reason why I told both sides of the story is because the first one, the less detailed story was everywhere. So yeah, that, right. that seemingly did actually happen. This more detailed story I only found in a couple places. Don't know if it actually happened. Um, now, many people obviously believe the apparition to be the Virgin Mary clothed in light. The phenomenon occurred on top of a church that is traditionally held to be a location, uh, again, where the family, uh, Holy Family stayed during their sojourn, sojourn in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, is, is frequently visited for that purpose. Um, so this was widely fo- photographed. So let me show Rachel some pictures of this. I have never seen this before. So anyway, um, yeah. 
So the head of the Coptic Church uh, made an investigation of the apparitions and declared them miraculous and what as an authentic appearance of the Virgin Mary. Um, also located in the city was a Roman Catholic religious order who sent a report to the Vatican detailing the extraordinary phenomenon. And while Pope uh, Paul the sixth uh, deferred to the leader of the Coptic Church to make a public decision, the Vatican uh, envoy arrived in Cairo and made their own report. They witnessed the apparition of light and wrote the following details in a formal st- formal statement quote the apparitions occurred on many different nights and continuing in many different forms. Uh, the Holy Virgin Saint Mary appeared sometimes in full form and sometimes as a bust surrounded with a halo of shining light like we saw. Um, she was seen at times on the openings of the domes of the roof of the church and at other times outside of the domes, moving and walking her on the roof of the church and over the domes. When she knelt in reverence in front of the cross, the cross shone with a bright light, waving her blessed hands and nodding her holy head. She blessed the people who gathered to observe the miracle. She appeared sometimes in the form of a body. Uh, like a very bright cloud and sometimes as a figure of light proceeded with heavenly bodies shaped like doves moving at high speeds more on the doves in a minute. The apparitions continued for long periods up to two hours and 15 minutes as in the dawn of Tuesday, April 30th, 1968. So again, about 28 days later from the first sighting. Right. Um, when she appeared continuously from 2.45 a.m. until 5 a.m. Again, very dark, right? Yeah. Uh, period of time. So thousands of people from different denominations and religions, Egyptians and foreign visitors, clergy and scientists from different classes and professions all observed this apparition. The description of each apparition as of the time, location and configuration was identically witnessed by all people, which makes this apparition unique and sublime. End quote. Wow. They also related how the apparition was causing a miraculous revival of the uh, Christian faith with many conversions taking place in the city and also various healings were recorded that occurred near the apparition site. Furthermore, um, even the Egyptian government investigated the apparition. Uh, President Gamal Abdel Nasi uh, witnessed the apparition and the Egyptian police could not find any natural way to explain the phenomenon. Um Everyone was universally stunned by what they saw and no one could offer a scientific explanation at the time. So something to note about that, too, is the. uh, um, The Egyptian government really didn't have any ties to the Coptic Church, right? Okay. Um, it was and we'll talk about kind of the political sphere and why um, it's actually interesting that they all agree that it was a holy phenomenon. Uh, so she sometimes, uh, was bowing and sometimes nodding her head and moving across that comes back later as well. Um, on May 5th of 1968, Pope of Alexandria, uh, the Pope of Alexandria, uh, Kyrillos the sixth, uh, issued a statement deeming the sightings authentic. And so did the Vatican. There was no particular message associated with the Marian apparition. Uh, like, uh, that the Vatican didn't claim that it meant a specific yeah, thing, right? right? Uh, but something worth noting is it did come at a time that the Middle East was in turmoil after Egypt was defeated in the Arab-Israeli War or the Six-Day War. It gave people hope in a time of darkness and strengthened the faith of many. So we'll talk right. about that more. Um, yeah, so the Egyptian army was defeated by Israel in June of 1967. So this only happened a little less than a year later. Um, and Pope Tawadros uh, said during his speech uh, that, quote, the country was in a difficult situation, but God bestowed his love on all Egyptians. Her appearance in Egypt was accompanied by several miracles that were hailed and witnessed by millions around the world. Um, he said the 
Egyptian government then decided to allocate the land facing the church, which Virgin Mary appeared to establish a great cathedral uh, named after her. So land facing church at which. (laughs) (laughs) What's happening? I don't know. It just sounded weird, but that's a direct quote. Um, Here are a couple of like other stories before we just talk freely about it. So um, at, in 2011, Egypt also witnessed another remarkable sighting of the Virgin at the Coptic Orthodox Church in Warwick Island in Cairo, uh, which came following a bomb attack that targeted the Alexandria-based Saints Church of St. Mark and Pope Peter on Christmas Eve. The attack killed about 21 cops, but they claim to have seen her there as well. Uh, many people claim to have been miraculously healed after seeing the apparition. In her book, uh, Pearl Zaki interviewed a Dr. William Nished Zaki, um, the ex-director of the Masara unit for medical treatment in Cairo. So obviously a doctor, right? Yeah. He said he'd been suffering for with a hernia for 13 years and desperate for relief. He visited the church in Zaytun on March. I mean, sorry, May 30th of 1968. And just before dawn, uh, he said, quote, just before dawn, I saw the Blessed Virgin. Um, he said, quote, I prayed for a miraculous cure through her intercession. When I reached home, um, I had no pain of any sort. And it wasn't bothering me and the hernia had been absolutely cured. Um, do they have the last same last name? Yeah. Yeah. So she just interviewed her own husband? Someone she's related to, probably, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. But anyway, so seems legit. Yeah. The um well, it's probably what sparked her interest in the subject, right? Oh yeah, maybe. You know what I mean? Uh but anyway, the uh, purported miracles weren't limited to Zaytun. Many reported unusual encounters with a woman dressed in white during the time of the apparitions. Uh, a pair of doctors traveling to Cairo through the Wadi al Natern Valley spotted a young woman in white walking alongside the road. Assuming she was a nun, they offered her a ride. She was headed to Zaytun. When they arrived, they opened the door for her, but she a dove flew out and she was gone. Uh, from 1968 to 1971, it's estimated that 1 million people claimed to see Mary. Um, of course they did. Yep. Sometimes for mere minutes, sometimes for hours. TV crews descended upon the small town. People of all faiths traveled far and wide, hoping to catch a glimpse of, of, of her. Um, biblical researcher Rebecca Jackson, co-author of A Lady of Light, appears in Egypt, conducted numerous interviews with the eyewitnesses. Quote, what sticks out is that everyone agrees on what they saw, regardless of their faith, she says. Um, they were convinced that what they saw in Zaytun was for, for was for real. Um, now, some. OK, so let's stop before I get into the skeptical stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Um, the only thing that I feel is in the most is like the thing I couldn't explain away or I guess kind of understand is the that many people at one time witnessing it, especially like from a random dude. It's not like the priest himself was like, look at look there. There's She's a woman up, up there, there or yeah. whatever. It was like some random dude. Yeah. But he did have gangrene, which I feel like gangrene kind of makes you doesn't it make you see things? Uh, it might give something you fever, that which you might. That way? But again, he, that doesn't mean that like, unless how a bunch, a bunch of people had the same fever. Yeah. But what does affect a bunch of people at the same time? Right. Well, yeah. Right. It's necessary. Yeah, of course. So, um, that's yeah, a, that's I a mean, really mass hysteria though. That's a big one. It is. It's huge. It's one of the biggest ones ever, which is why I want to talk about it. Um, yeah. So I'm pretty convinced something was going on. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it was a, Good combination of something happened at the top of the church combined with 
mass hysteria and pareidolia. Um, so the reason why I say that is because if you look at these pictures, you can definitely see a shape, right? Yeah, there's something there. There's something there. Um, something clearly documented it. People came and saw But like, let's put yourself in the shoes of one of these folks. You travel thousands of miles, even hundreds of miles. Heck, even a drive across town. If you see a light at the top of the building, you're going to convince yourself it's the Virgin well, Mary. No, but if you see a light up the building and then you come across all these people. Yes. And they're like, we think it's the Virgin Mary. Right. Then look you think her, it's the Virgin Mary. Look too. at her bowing at the cross. Right. right? Um, so here is some of the some of the explanations. OK, well, and yeah, we'll, we'll do what we always do. which talk about it from both perspectives. But here's some of the skeptical explanations. So. Cynthia Nelson, who was a professor of anthropology at the AUC American University in Cairo and the founding director of the Institute of Gender and Women's Studies, uh, visited the church site on several occasions, including April 15th, 1968. So about two weeks after this whole thing started um, and another week later near the end of April and on June 1st of 1968. Um, despite the accounts of ongoing if irregular visitations by the Marian apparition, Cynthia Nelson documented seeing nothing other than a few intermittent flashes of light, which we'll talk about. Um, some authors suggest that the sightings must be considered in context. The appearances came at a period of crisis in Egyptian history and echoed a, quote, widespread feeling that the defeat of Egypt in the 1967 Arab-Israeli War, the Six-Day War, was the result of having abandoned faith in favor of human-made ideas and belief systems. So there was kind of a callback to faith. Um, sociologists Robert Bartholomew and Eric Good offer the Zaytun apparitions as a prominent case of mass hysteria they say quote it appears that the marian observers were predisposed by religious background and social expectation to interpret the light displays as related to the virgin mary end quote so they're not denying that a light display did occur which i'll also talk about um However, these interpretations, this is worth noting, don't align with the fact that Muslims saw the apparitions, including the Egyptian president, Gamal Abdel Nasser, which I talked about earlier, um, who directly contributed to the persecution against Coptic and Jewish minorities since 1952. Um, so it would be a contradiction to claim that he had any reason to join the cops in their perspective uh of Mary um, and also persecution of Christian minorities in Egypt defies the concept that both Muslim and Christians could share the same view of Mary, um, especially that the apparition occurred above the church. Right. So that, that is worth noting, which goes back to me saying, I think that there was a light phenomena occurring. Right. Um, on the other hand, maybe the lights were caused by some natural phenomenon or human intervention. So the cops that were actually involved in the investigation were looking for somebody with a projector of some sort. They didn't find anything. Um, and one proposal that is favored by some investigators is that the lights were earthquake lights, which are luminous phenomena that, uh, that people don't really know what they are, um, which have been associated with tectonic, tectonic strain. And there was a tenfold increase in seismic activity in the area during the period of these sightings. So it could have been earthquake lights, which have caused a whole bunch of various sightings throughout history. Yeah. And uh, so there's a couple things. Um, I think that it's um, now I haven't seen this written down anywhere and I'm not an expert, never even been there, only seen the pictures. But if you look at the pictures, what you will see is where the halo is, is a line in between two domes. OK, um, and then there's like the body, right, which is a lighter version of the same light phenomena. So if you had a bright light shining at both of those domes and they were to reflect on like a fog or a dust, 
both domes could come into the con could concentrate in that one spot, causing a halo effect in one area. Okay. And then the dome. So the doves is another thing I want to talk about. Um, so the doves and you can find these pictures, uh, they looked like doves, but they were glowing bright and they often went into the shape of a cross, which is why people thought they were related. Um, those could have been the earthquake lights reflecting off the domes. Okay. And then causing this, this thing. Now, as far as movement, bobbing, the person moving side to side, um, if the earthquake or if any lights were shifting side to side and reflecting again off of these domes, that would provide movement. Right. Um, now there's the other side. It could have just been the Virgin Mary. <laughs> right. I actually find the mental aspect of Oh yeah, like more compelling. Okay, so all those people that that came up after that land and saw sightings, like of course you could easily think most of those people made that up. But there probably were a decent amount of people that believed or maybe did see the Virgin Mary. But again, that's part of that too, right? It's like that what it does to people mentally think about that and being in that state and I mean we talk about a lot right now, but it's just that's that's no, they took pictures of it. Okay. Yeah, so there are actually pictures of it. So, and that, I think that's the part that, again, again, if you have pictures of it, like that would, it would, it would drive to convince people to believe that it would happen. You know what I mean? And they do. They they put them out in papers, so they would take the picture, put it in the p local paper. You can have the. You, there are pictures of the local paper having these pictures and then they would say like investigation still underway about cop church yeah. right um so i mean it was it was a massive social thing that was occurring yeah and the, and it was shared right and then you have all these scientists coming in to see it too and um because you didn't i mean they legitimately had research going on to figure out what it was because a lot of people thought it was it was a hoax um so yeah, very interesting case. Um, look up those pictures. Let me know what you think. I, I happen. To, I, I still think it was a light phenomenon combined with the fact that there are shiny domes on the top of this church. So I, I think that's kind of the perfect case for this to happen. Um, but I mean, who's to say the light phenomenon isn't the Virgin Mary? But something that they were also saying was, um, you know, like the the Muslims, uh, or not not just the Muslims, but anybody that believed in these things. Um, also interpreted it as uh, Isis, the, the woman, Isis, yeah. uh, and then other, you know, just womanly figures, right? They, they didn't have to say it was Virgin Mary. It was just because it was the church of yeah. St. Mary. Um, but yeah, so there was definitely something that people were interpreting as something spiritual. And I think that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So let's take a break for a couple ads. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Carol. And we're the hosts of Retro Late Fee. We are stuck in 1994. And we can't get out. <laughs> we're watching all the movies and TV shows that you probably remember, I guess. Somehow we're speaking to you through some kind of time portal. Right. Uh, join us every week for great movies and TV shows from 25 years ago. <laughs> it's fun, I swear. <laughs> 
I'm going to be talking about Alice Kiteller. Um, so the dame Alice Kiteller was born in 1263, or at least like that's what we think by our counts, which obviously back in the 1200s weren't great. I don't know. It's pretty specific. I know. Seems like they did a pretty good job. I'm going with it. I just feel, I don't feel confident saying that. Like, oh yeah, we know that for a fact. I feel confident. Okay. I'm very, off of your confidence, I'm confident. You can feel confident for both of us then. All right. Um, In Kyteller House, County Kilkenny, Ireland. That sounds like nonsense to me. Do it in an Irish accent. Never. (laughs) I will never do that. Because I'm pretty sure the way I would do it would either just not sound Irish or would sound so offensively making fun of Irish people just because I would have to do it that big. You know what I mean? I'm not certain you know what an Irish accent sounds like. I, I do. Okay. It's like a le- le- leprechaun. Jeez. <laughs> Here we are. That's what I think of. You did this. This is your fault. <laughs> Anyways, um, that's not that, something like reading these old stories is like the way they talk, like Kai Teller House, County Kilkenny, Ireland. Like that's the way you like said where you lived back then. And clearly it's not the way you do it anymore. And it's very confusing to me. I don't know, I don't know how me. Irish people say where they live. Well, no, but there's just, there's just, maybe not that one specifically, but there's other things in the way that it's written that I'm just like, I don't, these are weird words. I have to like look up stuff and so anyways, yeah, there was some interesting stuff I had to kind of look up to understand just the difference in how they talked back then. Um, so she was an only child born to a family of merchants that settled in Ireland in the 13th century. Um, we don't know much about Alice's childhood or growing up hood, whatever you want to call it. Um, but in 1280, I'm going to roll with growing up hood. I like it. I I think I've said that. Well, because that's the medical term. Well, because it's not just her childhood. Like the next time you hear from her is in 1280. She's how old? 63. 17, which back then was a grown woman, like full grown beyond. You've been grown since you were like 14. Oh, that's, yeah. Easily. Easily. Because um, you're only going to make it to like about, what, 35? So. Yeah, that was, a, yeah. Yeah, so 14, you are a grown woman. Um, So that's why I said growing up hood, because it's not just childhood. But it's not a term, though, is the I thing. I know, but what else would I say? Coming of age. Her coming of age hood? No, just coming of age. <laughs> I don't like that. We don't know much of her coming of age. That's weird. No, that's like, like literally it. how you would say I'm going to go ahead with growing up hood. Okay, thanks. I Anyways, prefer that. Um, I don't remember asking for your opinion on any of this. <laughs> That's what I said. That's what I'm going with. Anyways, so in 1280, Alice married her first husband, William Outlaw. 1280, so she was 17, yeah. Yeah. So Outlaw was a merchant and a moneylender, and his dad was the mayor. His name is Outlaw? Yeah, isn't that awesome? He has a... Best last name ever. Yeah. Um, and his dad was actually I was say he has a big old dingus, but I don't really whoa. know if that's <laughs> his, yeah, his dad was the mayor of yeah. where they lived. Um, and he died. So wait, his dad. So the, you were mayored by outlaw. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, he died in 85. His dad did. Nope. The husband. William outlaw died in 85. So five uh, years he was later. Probably considerably older than her. Um, it's the way that people rolled back then. Yeah, and then in 1302, so 85, 1302. So 
So a decent amount later. Um, Alice married her second husband, Adam Blund, who was also a moneylender. Dang, she was near the end of her lifespan, according to you. <laughs> um, so that's the same Blender. here. Blund. Oh, Blunder. Focus. No, Blund. Just Why blunt. are you adding errs on the end? Oh, I heard blunt, Blender. You just said it. Blunt. Nobody else said it. Blund. Okay. Adam Blund. Um... That same year, Alice and Adam were actually accused of killing her first husband, which is weird because it was a oh. long time. Yeah, 17 years. Yeah. Something, long 18 time. years maybe. Um, anyways, and, but there was no like evidence. It was literally just people who were basically just jealous because Alice had a whole lot of money from her husband because he was... Mm, the mayor's son. Loaded. And he was also a money lender. Oh, yeah, that too. And a merchant. Mm-hmm. That does make a lot of money. But anyways. Um, mm, good. He was selling his wares. He was selling his wares. Uh, but then mysteriously, her second husband died. Uh-oh. Also. A trend. Um, just a few years later. It was hard to stay alive back then, though. I know. In 1309. Uh, Six years. Alice married Richard Vale, who was a landholder of County Tipperary. Hmm. What he does that in, mean? He died in 1316. I don't know. She's sticking it out with a few of these dudes, though. Yeah, I mean, that's seven years. Yeah. Um, We've only been married for seven years. Are you going to kill me? Yeah. Maybe. Um, That same year. The same year. Uh Uh-huh. So still 1316. She married her fourth husband. Oh, wow. Oh, so now she's getting more quicker. John Power. She's the Black Widow. Power. How do you spell that? P-O-E-R. Power. Like poet, but with an R. Yeah. I don't, you're, you're like criticizing a lot of what I'm saying right now and I'm not appreciating it. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, in my mind, think about how they would say it with an accent without saying it with an accent. I get it. But like at the same time, instead of just like listening and like focusing and trying to figure it out, you're just talking a lot. Well, you said power. I'm just wondering how it's No, but you also kept saying like blender and blender like I was adding an R. You know I'm deaf? God. There's no way you heard it. You just said Blender the first time and then decided it must have an ER at the end because you weren't listening to me. I heard Blender. Being deaf in one ear does not give you, make you hear extra letters. You're actually in my good ear too. Yeah, so <laughs> nonsense. Anyway. Um, so yeah, John Power, who she married in 1316, died in 1324. Um, it... It is believed that when John Power first became sick in 1324, he confessed to his children as well as some close friends that he believed he was being poisoned. Mm. Um, so after Power's death, his children as this well as four now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. His children, as well as um, the children of her previous husbands, accused her of using poison and sorcery against all their fathers. Well, now that now she's become like old hag age compared for the time right 1324 like, she was born in 63 so she's like 63 60. yeah she's pretty old yeah for the time um now you're a ripe chicken also perfect age to be accused of being a witch yep um so uh, spoiler here, alert that's where the story here are her accusations they include um denying the faith of christ and the church cutting up animal animals to sacrifice to demons at crossroads holding secret nocturnal meetings in churches to perform black magic and undermine slash overpower the church, using sorcery and and potions to control Christians, possessions of a familiar Robin artisan, a lesser demon of Satan, um, and murder of husbands. So other than the last part, you didn't mention any of that other stuff. I I never found that other stuff. 
Like, this is what they decided to accuse her of. No, I, I get after it. After they found out that, she, after they decided that she killed all their dads. Yeah. Nowhere else was it. Anyways. So, in 1324, that same year that John Power died, Alice's case was presented to Richard de la... de la Dreer? No, la dre d What? How do you spell it? L-E-D-R-E-D-E. Ledredi. Right? Richard de Ledredi. I just told you. L-E-D-R-E-D-E. Ledred? Ledred? Led, Ledred? It's, it's not le, they're Irish. Ledred. 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 That's what I said. I don't know. Anyways, so he, he was the bishop... Of Oris, or Orisori, which was like the church around there. Got it. Orisori. Uh, he tried, he attempted to arrest her, but um, Alice had many friend in, friends in high places because she was loaded. She was rich, yeah. Um, so actually from trying to arrest her, he ended up in prison himself for a few months. Um, and when he came out, he was, you know, just dying to get her in prison. He was pretty livid, understandably. Not happy in the moment. Um, so he actually wrote to the Chancellor of Ireland, who uh, was her, remember um, William Outlaw? Yep. It's his brother. Oh, so a former brother-in-law. Yeah. Uh, so he was just like, hey, can you just like not instead? Like the bishop was like, hey, this whole thing she did. And this guy was like, no. So he, uh, he basically asked the bishop to drop it. The bishop was like, mm-mm. And so the chancellor made a bunch of different delays in the process of her getting arrested in the best way he could. Like he, uh, he yeah, said, this dude's solid. Yeah. He said she had to, especially cause like they're accusing her of killing his, his brother. brother. Yeah. Right. Or die. Um, unless so, he tapped that ass or unless he helped. Um, yeah. but like he said that before she could be arrested, she had to be, uh, excommunicated from the church, but she had to be excommunicated for 40 full days. That was like one of the rules that he decided. And in that time, um, she was actually able to flee the country. So I'm assuming he also like warned her like, yeah, Hey, you're about to get course. arrested. Yeah. So, um, then they went to, uh, torturing servants to try to find out information. Cause the Bishop was just not going to let this go, but you know, he shouldn't, I think. Yeah. But so that doesn't mean dudes. you jump towards torturing servants. Well, yeah, but this is the 1200s, babe. Yeah, that's true. You torture a few servants before you even get your cup of coffee. Exactly. So, um, one of her servants, I hate it, Petronella Demeath. That sounded good. Sure. Um, she was one of the ones tortured. She confessed to witchcraft, and in her confession, she detailed her involvement, as well as Alice's, in six out of the seven of the things they've been accused of, which these are... The full set. You know, because torture always comes up with the truth. Everyone always. knows. Um, committing heresy. Is it heresy? Her heresy. Heresy. Sacrificing to demons. Communicating with demons. Magically excommunicating slash. Is it usurping? The church. Making love and hate potions to corrupt Christians. Murdering her past husbands. Engaging in a sexual affair with a demon. Um. So, yeah, those are fun. Uh, they said six out of seven. They didn't tell me which six out of seven. I did all that since Tuesday. So, although obviously the confession was mostly considered forced and unreliable. Yep. Um, still believed. Well, yeah. Many people believe that both of them were witches because of this. 
Uh, so then that just lit a fire under the bishop to even more try to find Alice and arrest her. Uh, so in Meath's confession, she actually recalled some of the witchcraft as an acts of witchcraft that her and Alice had participated in. And here is a quote from her um, testimony. So, quote, on one of these occasions by the crossroads outside the city, she had made an offering of three cocks to a certain demon whom she called Robert, son of art. From the depths of the underworld, she had poured out the cock's blood, cut the animal into pieces, and mixed the intestines with spiders and other black worms like scorpions with an herb called... Never heard a scorpion called a black worm before. Nope. No, not at all. Uh, with an herb called milfoil, as well as with other herbs and horrible worms. She had boiled this mixture in a pot with the brains and clothes of a boy who had died without baptism and with the head of a robber who had been decapitated. How do you get a hold of these things? Witches, man. Well, rich witches. Yeah. Petronella said... This she, is very specific. I think this might be real. Petronella said she had several times at Alice's instigation and once in her presence consulted demons and received answers. Wait, who's... Oh, that was her mm -hmm. last name. Got no, it. Petronella is her first name. Meath was her last name? Meath was her last name. Got it. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh, she had consented to a pact whereby she would be the medium between Alice and the said Robert, her friend. In public, she said that with her own eyes, she had seen the aforesaid demon as three shapes in the form of three black men, each carrying an iron rod in the hand. The apparition happened by daylight before the said Dame Alice, and while Petronella herself was watching, the apparition had intercourse with Alice. After this disgraceful act, with her own hand, Alice wiped clean the disgusting place with sheets from her own bed. End quote. This is very specific. Well, yeah, but I feel like if you're being tortured, you'd have to like, because they just start asking you lots of specific questions. Yeah, but this is like. When did this happen? What did <clears> they do? How did they do it? And I feel like you would just be like, I want you to stop torturing me. So I'm going to yeah, tell you. as long you as I talk, you're not hurting whatever me. Whatever so. you want me want to hear. Yeah, but what if she did it though? Petronella could just have a really good imagination. Or a really or good memory. Alice could just be a witch. But anyways. so Practicing witchcraft doesn't mean that like it's real. I'm just saying people did it. She could have done it. Well, yeah, I know. But also, the original accusation was literally just she could be murdering people. When it's like, why couldn't the accusation just be murder? Well, maybe somebody walked in on her chopping up some cocks. And First off, lots of people back then chopped up cocks. They ate them. So that was normal. I'm just saying, but doing it in the crossroads. Second. I'm just saying, though, like, it just seems like, hey, I think this person is murdering our dads, but we have literally no proof because it's the 1200s and she put poison in them and there's no such thing as like DNA or DNA. testing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Testing in any way. Um, So we're going to do a, something that people eat. People will just attack and that you can easily accuse people of with no evidence. So Petronella Demeath was flogged and burned at the stake November 3rd, 1324. Um, it is believed by many that Alice fled to England, but she was never found or heard from again. And she was also, she was the first recorded person condemned for witchcraft in all of Ireland. It's awesome. I mean, it's not, but yeah, she murdered four dudes. I'm pretty sure. Again, it was hard to stay alive. I'm not going to skeptical then. skeptics. This. I will skeptical skeptics the witch side, but pretty sure murder. Yeah. So, I mean, I, she, she could have been doing it. The witchcraft thing. Well, and she kept she kept like marrying the same kind of guys or the same kind of money with the same kind of jobs. 
She, I, I mean, she probably just your run of the mill gold digging Black Widow. But I mean, back then it was real easy. Yeah, to murder to, people, to kill, yeah. especially with poison. Are you kidding? Yeah, if she got a hold of some uh, hemlock, just like slow over time poisoning, yeah, be pretty pretty easy to go. Because everybody get they're like, oh, he's sick. Yeah, yeah, like everyone, everyone. We're all sick. He's got cholera. He's coughing up blood. So is that guy. And so is that guy. Yeah. Everybody keeps pooping in their own bedrooms. Maybe it's the water we drink. Nah. That they keep pooping in. Can't be that. You poop everywhere. Okay. Enough. That's enough poop, I think. No. I was listening to a podcast about it. Like, yeah. It was everywhere. And they just were like, well, there's nothing we can do. There was no such thing as hygiene back then. So. I don't know. I mean, because if you think about it, let's go. We're going into this. You started this topic. This is where we're going. Like we have decided and we as people have decided that like bathroom is gross, which is kind of hilarious because it's like one of the one like it's something literally every single person has to do. And yet it's this like horribly gross thing. But back then it wasn't because there was just nothing. You just pooed everywhere. You pooed in the street. You pooed wherever you wanted. So no wonder your food is contaminated and your drink is contaminated. Everything's contaminated because they don't know what that means. But anyways, the point is real easy times to murder. Yeah. And get lots of money. Yeah. And maybe all the men were jerks and she was like, I just want your money. So I'm going to slowly kill you. It's a lot of time to be with someone, though, to kill them. Like seven years. That's, that's a long that, marriage. That, that's the part that gets me. Yeah. Maybe, maybe she, she kind of liked him. And then over time was like, mm. yeah, I'll kill him. Maybe she's like, I killed the first two, but I'll stick with this one. And then she's like. Eh, eh. He sucks. I'll kill him. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just she think it's did funny because it. it just seems very much like those kind of times to be like we can't just accuse you of murder. We have to ta- attach something else to because it because the only thing you can just straight up accuse someone of with literally no evidence witchcraft. and people just jump on it is witchcraft. Cool. So yeah, she's the first Irish witch, even though she's and she also got away with it, whatever she did or didn't do. Nice. All right. Well. This has been another episode of Skeptical Skeptics. Bye. Bye.